Hello, this is Dina Metzger, and uh, I'm speaking with uh, Joan Tewksbury. Um, I have just written the novel A Reign of Nightbirds, and we will also be speaking about Joan's novel Ebba and the Green Dresses of Olivia Gomez in a Time of Conflict and War. You know, Joan, when I first uh, thought of our having this conversation, it was because the book that I wrote, um, or the book that was written through me, uh, seemed to want, seems to want um, a conversation about the issues that are uh, intrinsic to it. And so I was looking at Ebba again, and I realized that there are so many connections between um, yeah. between my book and between your book, and um, I didn't I didn't know about them uh, really un- until this moment. But what occurs to me, and I think you feel the same thing, is that books are given. We get a character, and. The character begins to take us somewhere. And then at the end, perhaps, we realize where we've been taken. Yes. Yes, and I think that both of us are concerned about the state of the loss of innocence in the world. And both of these characters seem to be working from a place of wonder and innocence, which is what struck me on reading your book again, you know, before today. Well, Ebba, and I think Sandra Birdswell, um, Ebba is both innocent and also I think she's a moral center. Mm-hmm. And that's an interesting contradiction. Right. <laughs> because she's, she's innocent, but she sees, right? Yes, but I, I have the same feeling about Sandra. <laughs> she, she is... She's not innocent, but she is in that state of grace, of wonder, and seeking. I think she is. She's more of a seeker, because Eva is. I don't know. Eva. Eva seems to be casting out her opinions right and left. So. Well, Ebba is 13 and Sandra is a grown woman in her 30s, so yes. we don't know who Ebba's going to become. Right. <laughs> she may be told to shut up on occasion. Well, yes, but that's because the culture doesn't want her to speak about what she what she knows. I was struck, Joan, by um, the epigraph to your book. The birds went silent in collective anticipation of disaster. And I thought, well, that could be the epigraph to my book. Exactly. And what struck me about your book this time is over and over again, you state the use of silence and that words can interrupt the thought pattern of what's going on or what is being transmuted between two people, especially in, in an act of falling in love, but also, in, a, in, an, in essence, the act of listening 
to what's happening in the world. You cannot get any information now because there is too much noise. And I think over, I, I mark these things in your book over and over again. You talk about silence, and it's almost a tool to wisdom. And that, that means, a, that strikes me as being very resonant of what the earth needs right now. <clears throat> well, I, I really hear you because there's too much noise and the words don't communicate. Mm. Yes, they don't mean anything. Right. And so when I looked when I looked at your book and um I don't remember who who said it, uh Catherine Walker says the book is spun as a fable. And I thought that was the only way by telling a fable, by telling a story, by magic realism, that you could get people to recognize what you were really talking about and um which is the um uh, the conditions of um, dictatorship and violence in a uh, central american or south american uh country um yes but the and the thing that strikes me all the way through your book it is a story that unravels a story that unravels another story. All of these stories are told through the um, through the culture of of who your characters are. But these books are both stories about stories, and because the the whole beginning of of Eva is a story about this place, and. Every, as I go through your book again, every story is resonant to something that is happening right now in these characters' lives, but it's also happening right now in our lives. And so I, I go back to where my book began was in your class, which was <laughs> the evolution of story. And you gave an assignment, and you asked us to think about who we would like to meet the most. And all of a sudden, this 12-year-old kid showed up, and she was speaking with Corey Aquino. And that's how this book yes. started. And it started out of what Corey Aquino had inherited and was trying to make sense of in her world. And so that, that was the, the beginning of Ebba, truly. Right. How did your How did your start? How did your How did your characters come to you? Well, in a way, it it, it was similar in that Ebba came to you. You didn't know who she was. You knew who Corey Aquino was, but you didn't yeah. know who Ebba was. Right. And I had written a novel, finished a novel, La Negra Blanca, and I was uh, a little crazed because I didn't have the next novel. It was coming from a reading. Uh, and uh, which I had done at Joshua Tree, and um, then driving home, crossing the desert, stopped, took a walk, thinking, okay, okay, what's the next book? What's the next book? There was nothing else to do because it was very cold and walking, uh, except pick up the garbage that was around. I had my hands full of garbage, and, and I sort of looked around and said, 
to who knows who, the mountains, I suppose, right. or the sand. I said, I'm sorry. And I was, I was so sorry about all this garbage. Garbage, yeah. And I heard this voice and she said, or he said, he said, you know, her name is Sandra Birdswell. Oh, my God. And she's a meteorologist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I don't know. <laughs> I had to find out who Sandra Birdswell was, like you had to find out who Ebba was. Right. Well, uh, Ebba sort of unfolded. But the thing that I love about all of the writing that you do, you go into areas where you, you suddenly have this information that's been given you, and you have to do more research than I can even imagine to figure out what some of these issues are scientifically. And I admire <laughs> I admire that greatly. I just make shit up, you know. I yeah, just uh, you had to find out about the disappeared children. Yeah, I did. And that that was a lot of that was a lot of research. But the the thing that is also resonant in both of these are how we are disappearing our children. That's whether right. they are taken or whether they are given blankets so that they will have blankets with disease or they are taken simply because a healthcare worker says, oh, well, you're not giving them Western medicine. But that's going on in our culture now. Right. We are killing our children with lack of education. Right. Uh, with lack of education and we're killing our, well, and, and, and our children are being disappeared. So yes. Totally. Uh, Ebba comes upon this and is almost a victim of this. And you're bringing up um, Terrence Green, who is Sandra Birdswell's partner and is a native man. And he was stolen. um, Yes, he was. Yes. He he was stolen by the government, um, taken to a, a Western... Uh, non-native school taken to one of those boarding schools that now we're beginning to recognize happened and the atrocities that happened there and forbidden to speak his language so his his soul was taken immediately and he was brutalized and um, so I I think it is the anguish of the children that um, that both of us share and our concern about the world that emerges when our children are destroyed right and and when you um we're dealing in a state of poverty so now in the in this country in all kinds of different ways but if the children are not educated by parents who can be there for them and these parents cannot and they are now being sent away back to a country where they never originated in the first place i'm speaking of of what trump has done Uh um they have nothing to learn from because they're these what we're dealing with are now these kids that are just left homeless and wandering on the streets with no education about how to boil water practically well, I know this has been a, always a, a great um, concern of yours. I think every time I've gotten a gift from you, it's been um, from a, a library fund. Uh, 
Yeah, right. through read, goddammit. Yeah, right. 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 So, yeah, well, uh, you're a writer, and so, and I'm a writer. We want people to read. And we also want them to have the skill to um, to go into their imaginations yeah. and, and the skill of language and possibility. Um, this is the thing that, this is, forgive me for interrupting, but this is the thing to. that you set in motion. You set in motion a course of the examination of imagination in the most elegant way because it's done uh, very, it seems to be very casual. And so the people who enter that room have the ability to open their heads to anything that happens to come in. And so I am one because it was tremendously effective and continues to be with me as a writer, and it helped develop another another way of of teaching for film. But I'm wondering, what are you hearing? What kinds of things are you hearing in your classes with with people who read from the imagination? What's coming up? Um, it's an interesting question. Um, I guess what I'm what I'm trying to elicit is um, the deep knowing that is outside of um, conventional knowing, right. and outside of the restriction of uh, conventional thinking. So the last question that I asked in in the writing class um, was about. Um, well, go writing back to what you were saying. What can be written when there are no words? Mm. And and so I asked people to go to a place where they had no words, either because it couldn't be put into words yet or because they were silenced. Yeah. So there are those two oh, ends. Oh, fabulous, yeah. Right. And then what comes through when you have permission? Um, and that feels very important for someone to come to another person and say, I will listen. Yes. And yes, you have permission to say what must be said that you have been afraid to say. Yes. And do you realize that also in your class? And what I have found is a carryover in, in what I do is that you are teaching people how to hear. And Say more. Not only, not only how to listen, but how to hear. Um, because we don't hear, actually hear. The, the, we, we hear with our preconceived ideas. Yes. And so what you are offering or, or uh, opening a door to a kind of pathway is so that we begin to listen, that's fine, but we really hear what someone is saying rather than recycling what we think we know already um, in, in that quiet listening. <clears throat> We really listen to what someone is really saying, and we really listen to what's coming through us from 
we don't know where yeah. from whatever we want to call it, from spirit, from the imagination, from the unknown. And we have to hear those words so carefully yeah. so that they don't sound like what we're supposed to hear or what we think we're thinking. Absolutely. Or the or the static that it is so that it is not confused with the static uh, with these word uh, the the words that have been condensed either to numbers or alphabets that this this and I can't think of one right now but it's a CPO to what you call it means this or instead of saying we're killing somebody we say we're doing something with extreme measure I mean all the military what we have done with language in terms of reducing it to nothing. So when in your class people are really speaking from heart, um, it's, I found it very, uh, it's not educational, it's not the right word, but, but very important to really hear uh, how, how they were saying something, you know. Well, for example, I'm not interested in collateral damage. Yes, exactly. That's exactly what you mean. I I want the writer to tell me, because he or she knows inside their body, mind, spirit, what it's like to be under that bomb when it falls on you. Yes. And or just tell me it. You mean dead? Okay. Yeah. Right. You mean blown up in ex, in, a, in an explosion, and now you're dead, and you're not only dead, you're in pieces. So right. g- give me the facts. You know, and I and we're Jesus. When you listen to all of this stuff of Spicer um, and how meaning is turned, he's killing himself trying to turn himself inside out to say nothing about the the horror that's just gone on. I I I must say. I am so awed by this latest event where he is literally hiding in the bushes. I know, I love it. Orders that he will tell them a few things um, about uh, the head of the FBI being dismissed, but they can't film it and they have to listen to this in the dark outside the White House. This has to be a comedy routine. Well, it is, and if it, it, it Melissa is Melissa McCarthy, I believe, who is doing him on Saturday Night Live, and it <laughs> is brilliant because they have captured lightning in a bottle, and they were. I mean, it's nice that Alec Baldwin is doing Trump, and he does it beautifully. But she has captured this um, clogged. <laughs> Clogged man's, um, you know, he, he's truly damned up. Is I, oh, it's it's so, quite remarkable. Isn't it interesting in the in these times that the important commentators turn out to be comics and actors? Yes, and comics. and, and yeah. that's how we're meeting yeah. these yeah. times. Yes, you have to, <laughs> Dina. If you didn't laugh, you. <laughs> We would have died a long time ago. Absolutely. So as a filmmaker, how did how does all this strike you? Well, what's sad to me is that um, 
we are, the film industry is in distress because they are trying to balance new technology like the, the virtual reality and the game, the, what has happened with game in uh, the virtual reality world with trying to figure out how to make movies to pull that particular audience into a theater. So now you have movies with these budgets that could save our country, let alone a third world country. And thank God for the independents who have no money whatsoever, but they seem to be bringing forth at least ideas or things to think about. But the industry as a whole is is going through a very confused time. And I do a lot of work at Sundance in, in the lab program. And so seeing or trying to encourage or support these voices that are talking about some of these issues because they do an outreach program all over the world. And it's quite remarkable um, that that is going on. But the, the problem is that you uh, can't find a venue to put them in, really, because the theaters are really interested in these other high dollar or Captain Marvel or Superman or whatever, you know, whatever kind of of thing that is technology-driven in a way. They're not so, driven in a story, you know. So I have a, a sense that the the people that you're meeting in your outreach programs are kind of like Sandra's and Ebbe's and Terrence's. Yes. And what are, they, what are they thinking about? They are thinking about current events, and uh-huh. many of them are thinking and and really caught up with the the business of being of immigration and that you are threatened in your own land and then there are the other topics which are always you know the love stories um between complicated people and the, you know that's always interesting um or there are environmental pieces and the thing that's happening in the New Frontiers program is they are really exploring virtual reality in a way that's very interesting. But to get them to go back and read Alice in Wonderland, for heaven's sake, so that there is a sense of real story underneath these wonderful things that can be done with technology at this moment in time. But they are they're truly interested in issues. There's no, um, there's no getting around it. And the, the other thing that's, that I thought of you and I, uh, the young women that uh, in Nigeria, the, what you call it, they, they were just... Uh, the Haram. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what, what must those families be going through right. at this point? But that is the story in Ebba and the Green Dresses of Olivia Gomez. Yeah. Um, and uh, and that is the story in the reign of nightbirds, yeah. uh, and it's about the children and it's about the environment. And for me, uh, the book was about um, how the mind that created the conquest 
And the mind that conquered this country and displaced and brutalized the native people is the same mind that's creating uh, the environmental tragedy that we're we're in. And Eva knows that every that that everything's going to hell, and Sandra and Terence know that everything is going to hell, and this is in a sense what the books are designed to do—to let others know it because we're in such grave danger. And you found fable, and um, and we both found story through which to tell this. And I think the the thing that strikes me so and is is heartbreaking and and beautiful uh, is the collection of Earth that Sandra oh, does. Yeah, all of her, all of the collecting the the the, the dirt, the earth, the the essence of of what what we need. She is saving, and and that is it's such a potent image. To see all those glass jars with with these various states of um, what's underneath us in them. And Interesting to hear you talk about that because you know it just started out with this image of this little girl who had a a, a beach pail essentially, oh. and she whenever wherever she went she took a little sand with her. Yeah. But as I hear you talk about it. And I realize, of course, she's continuing to do it as a, as an old woman and putting the sand in these layers, um, in these mason jars and labeling them. Yes. Um, it's like collecting seeds, isn't it? Yes, you know, it is. Pres- and, but, and it's also collecting essence. Yes. And the thing that strikes me is when she, the one place when she puts her hands on the ground and it's hot. Yeah. And it's so hot that she um, she can't bear it. And also when um, after the the lightning, um, when there is something in her body that that seems like a hive of bees, mm. and the the connection between that hot earth and the event of lightning and the event of in her body, it being like a hive of bees. I loved that. That was really powerful. Well, I think what connects um, our books is is the um, relationship and the resonance between body and um, and 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 earth and um, and. Eben knows this, so um, I'm going to end with this sentence. I think we'll end this conversation with this sentence. One afternoon during a heat wave, Gloria ran out of water and stopped under the tree that Ebba had climbed to escape from her mother and to make up songs that she shared with the birds and leaves. That could have been Sandra. And it is Eva, and they know how to relate with the birds and the leaves and the earth. And they are both daughters of mothers who weren't there. Yes. Which is interesting. And you also say it in your book that because Sandra has been motherless, she can now be anything she wants to be. 
And that's pretty good. And at the end, she finds that the that the earth might be her mother. Her mother, exactly. Yes. Excellent. Yeah. Gina, bravo. <laughs> <laughs> love you, honey. <laughs> I love you. Okay. <laughs> we'll talk again. All right. Much love, Dina. Much love. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. <laughs> 